Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. How we doing? Good. Uh, you guys ready for another winter snowstorm that's coming our way this afternoon? So excited about that. Um, do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, can you open them up to 1 Corinthians 14? We're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 together. Um, if you uh, don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles right now that would love to get a copy of God's Word to you. If you don't own a Bible, uh, keep that as our gift to you. We'd love for you to bring that home. If you're new or visiting, thank you for worshiping with us. My name's Calvin. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. So glad that you're spending your weekend with us. And while you're turning to 1 Corinthians 14, a little bit of housekeeping, um, talking about next weekend and Good Friday and Easter. You saw in the announcement video that um, the Good Friday service, um, it's going to be a walkthrough. And it's going to be from 4 to 8 at our Grand Haven campus. And we've done a ton of work to make this a really impactful evening. It's going to be um, parts that are very, very heavy. There's going to be parts that are very, very worshipful. It's going to be a powerful night. But just as a reminder, if you show up here from 4 to 8, you're going to be significantly disappointed. It's at our Grand Haven campus, so schedule some time to walk through that with your family. But again, it's in Grand Haven. And then um, another thing, when it comes to the Easter services, we have our normal services, three here and then two in Grand Haven. Um, can you do us a favor and actually do yourself a favor? Can you just plan on getting to church 15 to 20 minutes early next weekend? Easter is always one of our largest or our largest weekend of the year, and we're expecting very, very big services. And here's why I encourage you with that. Because if you show up at your normal time, you're going to struggle to find parking. Uh, the line's going to be long to check kids in. You're not going to get in until song one or two is finished. You're, you're going to struggle to find seating. And you're already going to be just frustrated and grumpy before you even sit down and begin to worship. You're just not setting yourself up to, for success. So as a help for us with Flow, but also for you to really make the most of our time together next weekend, just plan on getting here a little bit early. And I think everyone's going to win because of that. And uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to start with kind of recapping where we've been in 1 Corinthians. We only have a couple weeks left in this series. So if you could throw up the next slide. Here, here's kind of a recap of what we've done together this year. We are studying 1 Corinthians because we want to know what does it mean to be a gospel church? What does it mean to be a church that, that glorifies the Lord, that is being... Um, fulfilling the call that God has for us. And in Corinthians, it kind of lays out the formula for what does it mean to be a church that's about the things of the Lord. And early on, we saw in the first four chapters that we need to be unified, that we're better together, that there can be nothing that causes divisions or, or camps or parties within the church, but that we need to be pulling the same direction. We need to be about the things of the Lord, and we need to be unified. Then we talked about how our integrity matters and that we cannot separate what we believe with how we live. And part of coming together and being in community is calling each other to confess sin and to follow Christ with our lives. And then in the last few weeks, we've been talking about the idea of love or, or you before me, that, that being a follower of Jesus Christ is laying down our rights so, uh, for the betterment of other people. And in the last couple weeks, in chapters 12 through 14, we're talking about this idea that we are one body, that we have been gifted, each of us, to build one another up. And so look here, I'm just going to be honest with you, we have some heavy lifting to do today, because Paul is going to jump right into the topic of spiritual gifts, and primarily the gifts of speaking in tongues and prophecy. And so here's what's been happening. Ever since we started this study, I've had people coming to me like in week one and two. They're like, oh man, I can't believe you decided to preach through 1 Corinthians. Chapter 14 is going to be brutal, huh? And I'm like, wow, that's super helpful. Thank you. You know, I'm so encouraged. 
by that word from, from you. And, um, you know, I just um, want to give you the information. It's, it's funny to me that my dad, who creates the preaching schedule, coincidentally is off this weekend. You know, so you just do with that information whatever you will. I'm just giving that. You can make whatever judgments you'd like from there. Um, but this is a weekend where obviously the spiritual gifts, historically there's been a lot of um, argument and division and debate around these things, but we're going to jump right into it today. So let's do this. I'm going to read the first 19 verses. You can follow along as I read, and then we're going to break down what God's word has for us this morning. And by the way, I'm really excited to be here with you this morning. I think God has a good word for us, and I think we're going to learn some things, um, but I think our hearts are going to be pressed to getting after the Lord in a significant way. So here's what it says. It says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now brothers... If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if a bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. And I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you, are, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. All right, so I think, I think we end with you are loved. You know, have a great weekend. I think we got it, right? <laughs> um, so there's for sure a lot going on here, and we're going to get into it. And, and here's what I want to start with explaining it is Paul is addressing an issue in the Corinthian church and that there was an overemphasis on the gift of tongues. And, and what was happening in the Corinthian church, it was like, man, if you spoke in tongues, that meant that you were really, really close to the Lord. And, and it was this idea of, of like, if you spoke in tongues, you were a varsity Christian. But if you didn't speak in tongues, you were kind of on the JV team. And so what was happening in the church when they were coming together, it was becoming a competition of who could speak in tongues. And it was causing disorder in the service. And it wasn't happening to build one another up, but it was more of this, hey, look at me. Look how spiritual I am. You should follow my leading because I'm speaking in tongues. So God is obviously doing miraculous things through me. You know, follow me. Look how great I am. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. You're, you're getting this all wrong. And um, honestly, if you uh, read through those 19 verses, the point that Paul is arguing is very, very simple and very, very clear. Paul's making a simple message to the church, and it's this. That prophecy 
is a greater pursuit than tongues. That to prophesy is a greater pursuit in the context of the church than speaking in tongues. He makes it so clear. Look at verse 1 again. It says, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak in tongues, but listen to this, even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And look what he says in verse 12. He says, so with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Paul's saying, listen, it's not wrong to, to want to experience the Spirit's power and, and him to manifest himself in your life and in the church. But the thing that you should be going after is not speaking in tongues, but prophecy, because tongues is something that builds up yourself, while prophecy is something that builds up the church. Okay, so here's what we need to do. We need to spend a moment and rightly define what we're talking about. When we're talking about tongues and prophecy so we can rightly understand exactly what Paul is saying. So let's start with tongues. And first of all, you need to understand that in the Greek, the word tongue was used interchangeably with the word languages. And even Wayne Grudem, who's kind of one of the foremost theological minds in our country, says, I wish instead of using the word tongues, they would use the word languages because it would clear up a ton of confusion. Like when we talk about speaking in tongues, I'm not talking about like physical tongues that are like growing in your mouth that would be weird, right, and gross. That this is languages that are being spoken. And there's two types of tongues we see in scripture. The first is it's a known language that's not your own. So it is speaking a, a language that other people from different parts of the world would speak. You just don't know how to speak it, but God's doing something miraculously through you. And this is something that we see happen in Acts 2 at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples. And we read about this in Acts 2, 4 through 8. It's up on the screen. You can follow along as I read. It says this. It says the disciples, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at, this, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So something happened at Pentecost where the disciples were starting to proclaim the glory of the Lord preaching the gospel, talking about how great God is, and there were people who did not speak the language of the disciples, but they could hear clearly the message the disciples were communicating. It would be like if someone walked into our doors and they were from Moscow, and they didn't speak any English, they only spoke fluent Russian, and they sat in one of our services, and as I began to, began to preach, they could understand what I was saying clearly, even though I can't speak Russian. Hey, that is one um, use of tongues. And, and here's what you need to understand. This is not the type of tongues that Paul is talking about or that he's addressing in 1 Corinthians 14. The type of tongues that he is addressing is what I would call a heavenly prayer or worship language. And the purpose of this gift or use of tongues is to personally edify or to be personally built up. It is something that happens for your good and your blessing and your benefit. Right? Look at verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. 
for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Look at verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself, builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And this gift expresses itself primarily in prayer and in worship. Look at verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. And I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So what he's saying is, is that it, it plays out during prayer and worship. And, and what he's warning them is, is, listen, if you only do it in tongues, you're, you're not growing your mind at all, but only your spirit is being built up. But it seems that this gift plays itself out in prayer and in worship. We also need to understand that speaking in tongues is not babbling nonsense. But what's happening is, is it is actually the speaking of a heavenly language that is communicating praise and worship to God. Oh, this is referenced in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. It says this, if I speak in the tongues, think languages again, of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's interesting that he says the languages of men, which would be the first use, and then the language of angels, that there's a heavenly uh, language that, it, that is happening in that use of tongues. All right, so here's the question. Do these instances of tongues still play out in the church today? The answer is yes, they do. Um, I remember a few years ago, uh, my dad went on a uh, training trip to Kenya, and we had planted a church in um, Lemuru, Kenya, and he was actually stopping in Lemuru, but then he and a couple other pastors were going to a place called Bustia, which is another church plant that we've been involved in in Kenya, and um, Busia is like way on the far border of Kenya. It's a very, very small village. My dad was like, I'm pretty sure when we rolled in, we were the first white people to ever be in that village. It's super, super remote, and my dad was tasked with doing some preaching for the people and then doing some elder and leadership training, and I remember when he got back into town, I, I went over, and we were hanging out, and I'm like, hey, so what was it like preaching in Busia? And my dad's like, man, the weirdest thing happened. I, I have an interpreter who, who, so when I talk, they don't speak my language, so we have an interpreter. The problem is, is the interpreter barely speaks any English either. So, so it's like super, super sketchy. But he's like, as I started preaching, he goes, Cal, they didn't need the interpreter. I was preaching, and the people were with me the second I was saying things, and it was like I was speaking their language. And he's like, I don't know if I was speaking in tongues, but man, it sure felt like it. There was a knowledge and understanding between us that was supernatural. Um, there are people in this church who love the Lord, are walking with him closely, and who when they pray, occasionally will pray in tongues, in, in a spiritual prayer language. There are people in this church that worship, and, and they will worship in tongues. Like, listen, it was happening in this service already. You probably just weren't aware of it. This is something that still plays itself out today, and we're going to get more into that in a little bit. Okay, so let's talk about prophecy now. What is prophecy? And in some ways, prophecy is even more hard to rightly define, but, but here's what we have when it comes to prophecy. Prophecy is when God gives supernatural insight for the purpose of building up another person. When God lays something on your heart or leads you to communicate something to someone else that wasn't pre-planned but was given in the moment by the Lord to build up another person. And before we talk about what prophecy is, I want to first talk about what prophecy is not. 
Okay, so this is not in your notes, but if you're taking notes, you can write this down. I'll throw up the next slide. Let's talk about what prophecy is not. Um, prophecy is not an office or position. All right, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, they would have the position of prophet. And it would be a man who would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And then he would function as like the mediator between man and God. And he would speak to the nation on the behalf of God. And he would cast judgment on the nation when they were in sin. He would instruct the nation. He, he would cast judgment on other nations. But he was like the, the, the go-between or the voice of God. Okay, but now since Jesus Christ has come, we have all received the Holy Spirit. We all have equal access to God. And this isn't an office or a, prof or a position like it was in the Old Testament. Um, but it is a gift that's given to the church to build one another up. I keep telling Pastor Phil, like, it doesn't matter how long you grow your beard, you're never becoming a prophet, right? That title and period is done. This is a gift. It's not a position. Pray for him. He's still figuring that out. Okay, here's the second thing. Um, it's not about you. And prophecy is not to be used selfishly. All right, so ladies in the room that aren't married, can I help you with something? If a guy approaches you and says, hey, God told me that you and I were going to get married, that's not prophecy. It's just a garbage pickup line, right? <laughs> and listen, you guys laugh at that, but listen, I went to Bible school. That happened all the time, right? That was like the go-to move. And like, listen... That's not prophecy. Prophecy is not meant to manipulate people. It's honestly a, a form of spiritual abuse. Prophecy was never meant to be selfish. And, and here, here's why I say that. Because there are some people who abuse the gift of prophecy and their whole life is spent, well, the Lord told me this and the Lord told me that and, and God told me this. And they value what God has told them over what God's word says or wisdom or, or even community. And so what happens is, is when someone's like, well, the God, God just told me to do this. And you challenge that decision. They're like, who are you to challenge God, right? And it can be used at like this trump card to do whatever you want because you play it under the banner of, well, I just, God's told me to do this. The purpose of prophecy is to build one another up. It's not a selfish, this is for me gift. And then here's the third thing. It's not new revelation. Um, you're never going to have a prophecy or the Lord's never going to reveal to you that there was a 13th disciple and his name was Rambo and he was awesome, right? There's going to be no new prophecy that conflicts with, adds to, or detracts from God's perfect and completed word. Everything is going to fall under, under the banner of what God's word says. It's going to fall in line with that. But what prophecy is, is it's the personal application of what God's word always says in a way that is going to build up one another in Christ. I want to share with you an example of when Mary and I, or actually more Mary than myself, experienced this gift of prophecy. Um, it will be about five years ago this summer, what was the last summer that I preached at Camp Harvest. I was transitioning from my role as youth pastor into um, the, the lead pastor role or, or preaching more. And um, every uh, year when we went up to Camp Harvest, we would partner with a youth group from the Turks and Caicos. And it was a group of like 12 kids, but we got to know their leaders. We loved their students. And um, it was about five years ago that my wife had found out that she was pregnant with our youngest, Judah. And um, I know I've shared this with you before, but pregnancies were really, really difficult for both Mary and myself. And um, we've had two miscarriages. 
that's been part of our story. But then also when Mary was pregnant um, with our twins at 29 weeks, she uh, went into preterm labor. They couldn't stop the contractions, and um, she went on bed rest at 29 weeks and then gave birth right at 33 weeks, and we had to spend six weeks in the children's hospital, hospital in the NICU um, watching our kids develop and grow because they were just too young to bring home. And then even when we had Bo, even though it was a singleton, same thing happened. She started to have contractions. She started to have preterm labor. They couldn't stop the contractions. And she spent like six weeks or two months on bed rest. They were just very, very difficult pregnancies. So when we found out that we were pregnant with Judah, we met with our doctors. And the doctor said, hey, Mary, because you've gone into preterm labor twice, you have a condition where your body believes this is what's normal. And this is going to happen again with Judah. And there's nothing really we can do about it. We can try to give you these shots. But even then, it's probably less than a 50-50 shot that you're not going to have a really difficult pregnancy, spend a ton of time on bed rest. It's going to be really, really difficult. So we had that news, went up to Camp Harvest where there's like no cell phone reception. And Mary had spent most of the time trying to get on the phone with the insurance company. And we were told, hey, we're not going to cover these shots that you need, which probably won't work anyways. So Mary was frustrated, but she was discouraged. There was some fear there. And um, one of the leaders from Turks and Caicos um, her name is Nicole, and Mary and her just built this good friendship. And so it was one of the nights where we were having worship, and I was getting ready to preach. And, and during worship, Mary would say that, that the Lord just placed on her heart, hey, you need to get near Nicole. Um, Nicole is just a passionate worshiper. Mary was dealing with some things, and the Lord was like, just get near Nicole. You, you, you need to be by her. And so about halfway during the worship set, Mary was kind of emotional and struggling a little bit. And, and Nicole grabbed Mary and said, hey, Mary, we need to leave here. Um, the Lord told me I need to go pray with you right now. And so they left the room where we were worshiping and I, and I began to teach. And Mary said that Nicole just like put her arms around her, gave her the biggest bear hug and prayed this prayer over her, which she would only say was just God's supernatural prophetic word over her. And Nicole was like, listen, God, I pray that you replace this spirit of fear with a spirit of peace and hope and trust and love and God you love this child you're going to protect this child and this child is going to be a picture of your faithfulness and your goodness and your protection and Mary said there was a supernatural thing that happened where she said the fear and anxiety and worry that she was dealing with left and there was real peace in that moment because Nicole prayed over her and here's what's crazy um, Mary never went into preterm labor she never dealt with bad contractions, even though the doctor said that that was for sure going to happen. Mary's like, it was the most normal textbook pregnancy ever. And I remember even when Mary was in labor, the, the doctors came to us and like, hey, just so you know, Mary, you're measuring a little bit small. So we're worried that Judah's going to be tiny, maybe four pounds or five pounds. But just don't be surprised if he comes out small. He came out like seven pounds, seven ounces. He was a little truck. And, and so here's the thing. And he still is a little truck to this day, if you know him. But um, did God miraculously heals, heal Mary's body in that way? I don't know, but it sure feels like it, doesn't it? And here's the cool thing. Mary will still occasionally post pictures of Judah on Facebook, and Nicole will comment, hey, there's my promised baby, right? There was something supernatural that happened between them in that moment where God was using Nicole to build up my wife spiritually. It's a picture of prophecy. And by the way, this can play out in the life of the church today. Um, this plays out in counseling all the time. Our counselors will say, we'll be meeting with someone and we'll be praying and we'll be talking with them. And it's like all of a sudden the light bulb will go off. And, and it's like, okay, this is exactly what they need to hear. 
And it might not be what they prepared, but God will put something on their heart in the moment to build them up. This can play out in the context of small group, where maybe someone's sharing during split time, and the Lord places it on your heart. Hey, you need to share this with them. You need to encourage them this way. Um, this for sure plays out for me in preaching. There are times when I'm preaching and the Lord will place on my heart, hey, drive this application point that wasn't what I prepared and wasn't in my notes, but oftentimes that was like the most meaningful part for someone in the church. I think this can play out just in relationship with friends who are believers as you are doing life together or having coffee. Um, and I think this can play out privately as you do your devotions. I know this has happened to me before a ton where I will be in God's word or I will be praying and the Lord will just place someone on my heart. Have you ever had that before? And it's like, man, I need to reach out to this person or I need to shoot them a letter and thank them for something or let them know that I'm praying for them or encourage them with a verse and then I'll do that and they'll write back like, oh man, you have no idea how much I needed that right now. And it's like, yeah, I didn't know, but the Lord did. Right? And I've been on the receiving end of that where I've been at a point of frustration or discouragement and all of a sudden out of nowhere someone will call me or someone will write me and they'll encourage me and it will build up my spirit. Okay, this is something that still plays itself out in the life of the church today. But look here, prophecy in the church today has been one of the most difficult things to navigate because this is a gift that can so often and so easily be abused. And I want to give you an example. I remember five or six years ago, I was hanging out in the office with Phil on a Friday afternoon, and a guy showed up to the office. He just, he just came in off the street, and we'd never seen him before. He didn't go to our church. He'd never attended here. And he was like, hey, um, I'm so excited to meet with you guys. God told me that this church needs to support my ministry. And we're like, really? And he's like, yeah, so aren't you so excited to partner with me? And we're like, listen, we don't know you. We don't know your ministry. Like, this isn't how it isn't how it works. And he's like, yeah, but God told me that you have to. And then guess what? When, when I was coming here and I was coming over the bridge from Grand Haven into Spring Lake, all of a sudden on the radio, my favorite Christian song came on the radio. And I knew that that meant that that was God telling me to come here and that you needed to both financially support my ministry and give me platform in your church services. And we're like, like I'm happy you're excited right now, but, but that wouldn't be a wise decision for us to make. And then he became angry. He's like, who are you to argue with God? Right? It's something that can so easily turn selfish and be abusive. The temptation easily becomes, let's just not deal with it. Let, 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 let's, not, let's not press into this at all because it's hard to control. It's hard to navigate and it can be abused. But I, I need you to hear me in this. Just because broken people can abuse the gift of prophecy does not mean that God can't or isn't using the gift of prophecy. And we can't let just fear determine what God's word says. And, and in Corinthians 14, 1, it says that we should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We're told to desire these things and not to despise them. So practically, he, he, here's a way this looks out. Listen, um, last night, I have church at Saturday night, and then we have small group at my house. So when I'm driving home back to my house from church, knowing that we're about to have small group, it's a good thing for me to spend some time in prayer and being like, hey, God, if you, um, you want to use me to encourage someone or to build someone up or to speak someone something into someone's life, God, use me in that. 
you know, God, would you bless me with giving me some discernment to help the people in my small group because I love them and want to build them up? That's not a bad prayer to pray. It's actually a good selfless prayer to pray. Right, And these are two spiritual gifts that are focused on in chapter 14. But there are other spiritual gifts found in the New Testament. Romans 12, 6 through 8 says, Having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let them use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So even in those three verses, we see prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leadership, and mercy. In 1 Corinthians 12, at the end of that chapter, Paul talks about the gifts of miracles and the gifts of healing. Um, just last night, we had a lady approach our leadership and say, hey, I just got a cancer diagnosis. And she's like, would you guys, right before the service, right now, would you gather around me? Would you anoint me with oil and would you pray that I might be healed. We're called to do this in James. So guess what we did? We gathered around her. We prayed over her. We anointed her with oil. And, and we're asking God to do a miraculous healing in her body. We press into these things. So here's what I want to talk about now. Is I want to talk about a dangerous pendulum that we can tend to find ourselves in regards to the spiritual gifts. One side of the pendulum would just be ignoring that they're a reality. That they're like, listen, this is hard to navigate. This can easily be abused. This is called cessationism, where it's like, hey, these spiritual gifts no longer play themselves out. That this was just a specific time in the life of the church as the church was expanding, that God was doing miraculous things, but these don't play itself out today. The problem is, is that doesn't jive with what Paul says when he says we should still be earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts. And I think um, it's hard to argue that a faith that no longer believes that God can be doing supernatural things in the life of his people, it doesn't take a lot of faith to require that kind of faith. Amen? So one dangerous side of the pendulum is cessationism. Another dangerous side is fixating on the gifts. And the gifts become the main thing, and the gifts become everything, and it's no longer about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's no longer about God's word. It's no longer about walking in obedience. It's all about experiencing the supernatural. I was talking with one of the band members in the green room last night, and he told me, he's like, hey, Cal, I have family that believes that when you get baptized, if you don't come out speaking in tongues, you're not really saved, and they'll just keep baptizing you till it happens, right? And I'm like, that feels way more like waterboarding to me than it does like baptism. Like at dunk number four, I'll say whatever you want. Just get me out of the tank, right? But it's like, listen, you, you need to experience this or you don't have the real thing. This was what was going on in the Corinthian church. Like, I know of people who went into the mission field to be missionaries for Christ, and their missions agency sent them home because they didn't speak in tongues enough. It can be fixated on, and it can become the thing. So this leads to our big idea. And before I do that, I just want to say this. Listen, here's where we stand. We believe that the Holy Spirit is actively moving and gifting followers of Jesus Christ, but the point isn't the gifts. The point is the gospel. The point is Jesus Christ. The point is glorifying God with our lives. And if God gifts us to, to miraculously build each other up, we're going to praise and glorify God for that. It's not going to be about how great we are. And, and the gifts are never going to be the primary thing. Again, which leads to the big idea, and it's this. It's that in order for my giftedness to be a gift, I have to be willing to give it away. In order for my giftedness 
to be a gift, I have to be willing to give it away. Um, so last summer was a big summer um, for my family because it, every four years, it's the World Cup. And I'm a part of a big soccer family. I played soccer growing up. My dad played soccer. My brother played soccer. And my brother's birthday is June 2nd. And it was right when the World Cup was beginning. So I'm like, man, I'm going to get my brother this amazing birthday gift. And I ordered him a soccer jersey from the World Cup. And it was of one of his favorite players. It was like this green Germany soccer jersey. It was amazing. And um, his birthday happened. And we all went to hang out. And I forgot to give him the gift. I left it at home. And I'm like, man, I'm such an idiot. But I'm like, no, it's, it's no big deal. Like, the World Cup's going on. We're going to be hanging out a lot. I'll, I'll give him the gift next time I see him. Well, then a week went by, and I still hadn't given him the gift. And then two weeks went by, and I forgot to give him the gift. And then the entire World Cup happened, and, and his jersey was sitting on my desk. Like, he had come over to my house to watch soccer games. He was in my office and I was a moron and I forgot to remember that I had a gift for him. He didn't get the gift till like early October, right? Like this is a lame brother moment, but, but here's the thing. Just because I had gotten him a gift doesn't mean that I was actually blessing my brother because I never gave that gift away. And what Paul is saying is that the purpose of us receiving gifts from the Lord is so that we would give it away and build one another up. And if we're not giving it away and desiring to bless one another, the gifts become pointless and they become useless. Look at verse 1 again. Pursue love. Isn't it interesting how he starts with that? Right? Because the biggest thing is that we would love one another, that we would view others as more valuable than ourselves. That's what frames the whole discussion. Pursue love. Earnestly desire the gifts, especially that you may prophesy so that you might build one another up. Paul is saying that these are good things that we should pursue. So we need to answer this question. What does it look like for us to pursue the spiritual gifts? I think that there's three ways that we can practically lean into this right now together as a church. Here's the first way. The first way we pursue the spiritual gifts is engagement in community and service. All right, this is logical and this is obvious. Paul's saying that the purpose of the gifts is that we would build up the body of Christ. So if you are isolated and not in community with other believers, if you're living on an island, the gifts would be pointless because you can't use it to build other people up. The whole point is that we would love others, that we would be a blessing to them. That's why God gifts us. So we need to be in community and service if these gifts are going to play themselves out in a way that's right and honors the Lord. Okay, you need to understand this. This is important. Community is not only the avenue by which the gifts are expressed, they're also the proving ground for your giftedness. Okay, here's what I mean. We'll have people come to us and we'll have a class making Harvest Home or party with the pastors, and we'll get people like, hey, I'm new to your church, really, really excited to get plugged in, but at my old church, I taught a class, or I was a deacon, or I was a small group leader, and, and I have that giftedness, or like I you know, took this test that told me what my spiritual gifts are, and these are my gifts. Can I use them right now? And here's what we say. We're like, listen, it's so cool that you have that giftedness, but here's what we're going to ask you to do. Before we allow you to step into leadership in this church, we want you to be involved in community. We want you to understand what our small groups are like. We want you to understand what community is. And if you have that giftedness, the small group leader is going to notice it. He's going to recognize it. And we'll get you to become an apprentice and to lead a group. We're not against you using that gift. But we're not going to put you in a position of leadership automatically. Because community is the way where we see, do you love people well? Are you using these gifts correctly? Are you building up the body of Christ? 
It's not only the avenue by which these gifts are expressed, it's the proving ground by which these gifts are tested. Does that make sense? If you're with me, say I'm with you. Good. Okay, here's the second one. Second way we can pursue the gifts is to simply pursue a dynamic relationship with the Lord. Pursue a dynamic relationship with the Lord. And, and I would say, like, honestly, this is the one that God, that God has placed on my heart most heavily for us this week. Like, as I get older, I'm just in a season in my life right now where it's like I want way, way, way less of just simply doing the things that Christians do. I don't want to settle for just that. I want to have a dynamic thing with the Lord. That's where it's at. And, and like, if you're married, you understand what this is. There's a difference between being married to someone and having a dynamic, real, powerful relationship with that person. Right? And you can go through seasons. Listen, you can still be a believer and be in a dry spell in your relationship with the Lord. But man, let's not settle for that. And it's like, man, I just want the real thing with the Lord. I want to be um, hearing from his word. And when I go to his word, I don't want it just be just because that's what I'm supposed to do because that's what Christians do. Like, I want him to speak to me and I want him to lead me and I want him, I want to hear his voice and I want to be encouraged by the Lord. Like, I want a real thing. I want to be led to green pastures and still waters because that's where joy is going to be found. We need to pursue a dynamic relationship. The Bible says that we can quench the spirit when there's undealt with, unrepentant sin in our life. So if we want to experience the spiritual gifts, we need to be quick to repent of sin and confess that to the Lord, or else we're going to quench the Spirit in our lives. So maybe if I could just take a moment right now and really have you wrestle with this question yourself. Where's your relationship at with the Lord right now? Are you experiencing a dynamic relationship with God? Or are you in a season where it's dry or you're going through the motions? Like maybe more than anything else this morning, we need to just get to a place where it's like, God, I want you and I love you and, and I want a dynamic relationship with you. And then when that begins to happen, I'm going to experience all the other blessings of that. Where are you at with the Lord this morning? And then here's the third way we pursue it. Um, in the right way and under the right authority. In the right way and under the right authority. Now listen, we don't have the time to break down the rest of the chapter verse by verse. But the second half of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is like, listen, that worship services, when we gather together, they need to be orderly. And what was happening is, is in the Corinthian church, people were speaking in tongues, and it was loud, and it was rambunctious, and people couldn't understand what was going on, and it was causing disorder. So when we express spiritual gifts, they need to be done in the right way and under the right authority. So here's an example of this. We'll have people that will come to us occasionally and be like, hey, listen, sometimes when I worship, I speak in tongues. Is that okay, or are you guys going to kick me out? And we're like, listen, it is okay for you to speak in tongues as long as you don't become a distraction to those around you. So that, listen, as long as you're not distracting others or making it about yourself, as long as you're not disrupting the worship service, that's something we're comfortable with, and that's something that's happened in our services all of the gifts are subject to both God's word and under the authority of the church leadership. It's not a license to do whatever you want. Um, some of you may remember this. A, a few years ago, um, in one of our services, you might have been here for this, we had a woman stand up in the middle of our services. And she basically said, God's given me a word. And she just started yelling right in the middle of preaching. 
And when we talked with her during the service after she left, she was like, well, God told me I needed to say that. And I'm like, yeah, but God's word says that the worship service needs to be orderly. That wasn't your time. That wasn't your moment. It was a misuse of what you believe God told you to do. It was wrong. That, that we're not supposed to cause a distraction. God's spirit never leads to chaos or a lack of self-control. And there's some people who, who fixate on the gifts and it leads to hysterical laughing or it leads to running around the auditorium or, or, or crawling up and down the aisles or, or, or shaking. Listen, Paul is saying this when we come together. It's to be orderly. And if the gifts ever lead to chaos, it's an abuse or it's a misuse of that gift. Okay, so we've done a lot of hard work around this idea of spiritual gifts. Can I just share my heart with you right now? Here's what I want to say, and I'm going to close with this point. It's this. Here, here, here's what I'm worried about, and I think there's even a, a bigger potential problem that we need to face together, and it's simply this. The biggest potential problem would be simply not caring about God's family. The whole point of the chapter is that we should pursue these things because we love one another and want to build one another up. And here's my real fear. My fear is that there's some of you in this room right now that's like, oh man, this was an interesting sermon, and I learned some things, and maybe I know more, but this doesn't really apply to me because at the end of the day, I don't care at all about the people sitting next to me. And I'm going to continue to not be engaged. I'm going to continue to not serve. I'm going to continue to not be in community. And, and listen, again, there has never been a more consumeristic culture than America in 2019. It is so deeply engraven into our soul that we don't even realize it most of the time. But our natural tendency is, what can this church do for me? What can this worship service do for me? Are the songs good enough? Is the preaching keeping my attention? Is small group valuable? Is it worth my time? And, and listen, if you believe that the church exists for you, you have grossly misunderstood, first of all, what's been done for you by Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ gave up everything. He gave up glory. He gave up perfection. He gave up the intimate closeness relationship with the Father so that he could become our sin, that he could bear our shame, that he would die on a cross rejected by men and God so that we might be saved. There has never been a more giving person in world history than Jesus Christ. And you've awfully grossly misunderstood who we've been called to be as followers of Jesus Christ. That we don't exist for our glory, we exist to glorify God and to love one another. Listen, you're never going to find joy when you believe that the world revolves around you. It's always going to lead to mi misery because that's not what you're designed for. Joy in life and giftedness is found when we say, listen, I exist to give myself to other people for their good and for God's glory. So here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to close a little bit differently this morning. Most of the time I preach, then we pray, then we close in a, in a song of responsive worship together. Um, but what I want to do right now is I just want to take a moment and I want to set our hearts and get them ready uh, for Holy Week. We're entering the most important week in, in the Christian calendar. Listen, don't put anything away right now. Don't check out on me. Um, but we're going to celebrate Good Friday when Jesus died on the cross. We're going to celebrate Easter when he rose again. And here's what I want us to do. I'm going to have Alec and Holly come out right now. 
and they're going to lead us in a song. And I don't necessarily want us to stand up and sing. I want this to be a prayer over us. And I want you just to focus on the words. And, and look here. Here's what I want you to wrestle with. Where are you at with the Lord right now? Um, where are you at with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you in a season where you've been myopic and, and you've been selfish and you've been doing your own thing? Are you in a season that's dry? And, and, and here's what I want for us. I don't want to go through another year where we go to the services and, and we do the Easter cheer and, and we do all of the things that Christians do but we can't experience the blessing of it because our hearts are somewhere else. So I just want to leave some time for us right now to have a moment where we quietly pray and reflect and, and maybe there's some sin that needs to be confessed. Let's deal with it, right? We serve a God who graciously and lovingly forgives, that you are forgiven, that you are clean, that you are righteous, that God's arms are open to you right now. Maybe there's some sin to confess. Maybe it's simply just praying, God, do a new work in my heart. I want a dynamic, real thing with you. Let's pray. God, what an amazing thing it is that you would even be with us and moving and active, that your spirit would be present in our lives, that you would be doing things in us to build one another up. God, we love you. We don't deserve any of that. But God, right now, we just want to confess that so often we are distracted, so often our eyes are on ourselves, and they're not on you or the others around us. God, give us a heart that loves. Give us a heart that desires to serve. And, and God, we want to be a church where you're moving, and you're moving in power. So God, we need you. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.